0: Good morning. Welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. If you're joining us by live stream, welcome on a beautiful Lord's Day. Uh, It is good to be together as the house of God today. And it's good to see each and every one of you out this morning. Uh, If you're visiting us for the first time, we want you to know that here at East LJ Baptist, we have been captivated by Christ. Through the good news the scriptures give us about Jesus, we have seen The glory of God in the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. Through Jesus, God has given us grace and mercy, love and forgiveness and peace with Him. All made possible through Christ. And so we have been captivated by Him. We exist to spread our enjoyment of His beauty with our world. And we pray that you'll see His beauty today and be captivated by Him as well. I want to give a quick thank you to Stacy Dyer, our associational missionary, and Pastor Trey for taking care of things last week uh, in uh, our absence. And um, just what a a wonderful uh, service you had here and good report on the work of the association. And so we appreciate, appreciate those men taking care of everything while we were gone. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 22. Uh, We will be jumping back into our study of Luke's gospel this morning. And in Luke 22, we'll pick it up in verse 39, just to kind of back up a little bit from where we left off back in August and uh, kind of reacquaint ourselves with where we are in um, the last few days of Jesus' life. Luke 22, verse 39. And he, speaking of Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to, his disi- to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I'm so thankful that Jesus wrestled in prayer as he faced the cross, aren't you? I'm so thankful that he prayed, Father, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. For it was the will of the Father that Christ die in my place. It was the will of the Father that the Son would be slain for a war of sinners. And I'm so thankful that Jesus willingly laid down his life for me. Aren't you? you know him today, no doubt you are, but so many around us, uh, our neighbors, whether that be co-workers or family or friends, so many people we know don't know him. They've not yet embraced the work he did on the cross and and in his perfect life and in his resurrection as, as, as their own salvation, and so we want to pray for them. We also want to pray for the unreached of the world. I'm going to ask you to be seated for just a moment. And I'm going to ask Miss Mary Abernathy to come, one of the members of our uh, Foreign Missions Committee, and share with you about an unreached people that we don't often think about and also tell you about an upcoming opportunity.
1: Thank you, um, Chad. The unre- unreached people group that I'm going to be talking about today and that we're going to be praying for is scattered all over the world and in one, concentrated in one country. That people group we don't often think about is the Jewish people group and the country Israel, which we don't give much thought to about being unreached either. But as we ponder it this morning, let let me remind you just of what the, the definition of an unreached group is. It's a group of people that there's no indigenous community within them of believing Christians enough numbers or resources to evangelize their own group without outside assistance. When thinking about the Jewish people in the Holy Land, we tend to think that surely they must have heard the gospel. That's the origination of the gospel came from the the Holy Land, but they rejected it. But the facts tell us a different story. Not only in Israel, but worldwide, the Jewish people are 97% unreached. There simply are not enough believing Jews to share the gospel and evangelize their own people. Within Israel, there are actually three major religions. Judaism, 75% of the population of Israel is Jewish, but of that 75%, about 20% actually practice their faith. The remaining 80% have no regard for their heritage, they have no regard for God, or their position in God's history. The second major religion in Israel is the Muslim religion, Islam. It makes up about 23% of the population, and most of the Muslims in Israel are practicing Sunnis. But the third major religion, and consider this, this is a major religion, Christianity consists at less than 2% of the entire Jewish population, entire population of Israel, but also realize that those who call themselves Christians in Israel are made up mostly of some sect of Catholicism. There's an unprecedented low number of those Jewish people or population of the people in Israel who actually believe that Jesus was the Lord and Savior and the sole source of salvation. This might come to an estimated between 20 to 40 on the outside 60,000 people in a country that has nine million seven hundred thousand people in it additional facts that lead us to praying for israel a lot of people in the jewish people don't know this a lot of us don't know that know this but in israel today both abortion and prostitution are legalized nationally also in one of the largest cities tel aviv Approximately 25% of the population within that city alone is LGBTQ identified. In the land that we refer to as the Holy Land, holy couldn't be further from the truth. The actuality is that the population of Israel, the Jewish people, the Muslim people, and many of the Christian people are simply lost and unreached. As we pray for the unreached people in Israel today, the Jewish people ponder what we as members of this church can do to actively become part of the outside assistance group. We can surely participate here, but one thing I would like for all of us to consider is would the Lord actually send you or me there? The scriptures tell us the harvest is great and the laborers are few. This year, both the Jewish celebration of Passover and our celebration of the resurrection occur in the same week. This provides each and every one of us an opportunity to talk to anyone Jewish about their faith. On Friday night, March 31st, at Victory Christian Center, we have a unique opportunity to learn about how Passover is celebrated. Light of Messiah Ministries, which is a worldwide evangelical mission to the Jewish people, will be presenting a Passover Seder program entitled Jewish Jesus in the Passover. This service depicts how Jesus, our Passover lamb, was prophesied in this ancient celebration. We're participating with other local churches to sponsor this event and Chad will tell you more about that later, but everyone's invited to attend. As we think about Israel and the Jewish people who are totally lost and in need of hearing the gospel, Remember during this holy season to pray for their salvation, not only in Israel, but here too and throughout the world.
0: Amen. Thank you, Mary. And we'll give you more details on the Passover Seder celebration a little bit later on. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and and remember the Jews as well as your neighbors and uh, some others that uh, have need of prayer this morning. Father, how we thank you for your love that moved you to send your son to live a perfect life in our place, to go to the cross and bear in his own body on that tree. Your just punishment for all of our sins, even though he had no sin. Father, how we thank you that Jesus died for us. And then on the third day, he rose in victory. Jesus, we praise you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Your resurrection changes everything and we have hope. Lord, I pray for those who don't yet have hope in Christ. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for the nations. We pray for Jews worldwide and pray, God, that you would give them eyes to see the truth of their Messiah Jesus, the Messiah of Israel sent to save even the whole world. Today, Father, we join our hearts and lift up uh, several who are sick, a number who are sick. We pray for Jan Belew. We thank you that uh, Billy Ayers is here this morning. We pray for continuing uh, testing and and, and things to, to be done there. We lift up Patsy Ray, uh, Kyle's mom, who will have a procedure later on this week. Continue to pray for Lana Weberg's recovery. I thank you that Kathy Rickert's here today and we continue to pray for her healing. Lord, our hearts are, are continuing, continuously heavy for Judy Williams and we pray God for your intervention and help there. We lift up James Hearley. We praise you for answered prayer for McKenna Cook and ask for ongoing healing. We pray for Sophia Deerwent. Lord, today we pray for several families who are uh, grieving the family of Eunice Penlin and The family of Clara Ralston, the family of Kathy Cothern, and the family of Bruce Taylor. Lord, I thank you that you are the God of all comfort. And I pray that you would hold each of these family members close. And Lord, assure them of your presence. Lord, allow them to cry out to you and find in you their refuge and their strength. Lord, we praise you for the privilege of worship today. We thank you for our church family for the oneness of spirit that we enjoy in Christ. And I pray that your love would permeate this place and our hearts, that Christ would be exalted, that some would be drawn to faith in Christ today and that each and every one of us as your people would be drawn closer in our walk with you, Lord, that we would be made bolder in our witness for you, that God our hearts would be filled with more and more of your grace that would overflow into the lives of others that By our love, one for another and for our neighbors, they would know we're yours. Oh, what manner of love that we would be called the sons of God. And it is because of your love that we can be. It is because of Jesus. And we praise you and thank you as we ask these things in his name. Amen.
2: Let's all stand together and we'll uh, begin our worship and song. We're going to sing glory to his name.
0: Father, this morning we do indeed praise you for who you are. We thank you that great is your faithfulness. That no matter how unfaithful we are to you, and it's often and great, you cannot be unfaithful to us. Because you cannot deny yourself and who you are. Thank you for being a faithful God, a God who is faithful and never changing in grace and mercy and love all because of the finished work of his son and our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you that today, if we know you, you are our faithful king. And today, with grateful hearts, we come praising You, wanting, Lord, to to see You more clearly, to understand Your goodness and Your grace and Your love more deeply, to fall more in love with You, to be more surrendered to You in our daily living. Lord, our lives are all about You. At least they should be. For you alone are worthy. And so God, help us as your people awaken our hearts, Father, through your word and by your spirit. Even as we see Jesus and all that he's done for us more clearly, especially in these days leading up to the weekend of Good Friday and Easter, Lord, may we understand the love of God in Christ better than we ever have and may we realize because of the resurrection the hope that is ours. And Father, today I pray for any who have yet to trust Christ that are under the sound of my voice and in this place or join us via live stream this morning. Father, may they see Jesus And may His beauty and the goodness and love and mercy and grace that flows from the heart of the Father capture their hearts and save them today. Speak to us now, we ask, how we thank You for Your Word, the power of it. Give us ears to hear the very Word of the living God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And if you're visiting with us today, if you'll just go out these doors and to the left, there'll be some folks out in the hallway down there to show you where to go. Turn with your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We read from that chapter earlier, but we're going to look at a passage a little bit uh, just right after where we were reading earlier this morning. Luke 22, we'll be looking at verses 47 to 53. Uh, if you have joined us in the last few months, um, you, you don't know because we've been kind of out of it for a while, but we have been in, I don't know, a couple years studying through the Gospel of Luke. We took a break about mid August and we jump back in today and we will kind of walk our way with the Gospel of Luke right up through uh, Good Friday and Easter. And then we'll finish out uh, the book shortly thereafter. Luke chapter 22 is where we'll be reading from in just a moment. But let me ask you a question as we begin. Have you ever had a moment, maybe a season when you felt like your whole world was crashing down all around you, or maybe you didn't just feel like it was, it really was? I have. I remember a time when all I could see was darkness. I didn't go blind. I'm not talking about physically, but with my heart. All I could see was darkness. Everything was just black. I felt like I was in a cave with no exit and no hope of ever finding a way out. God, who I knew well, and any hope that might be found in Him, He just seemed nowhere to be found. Some of you have been there recently. We've, We've talked and we've prayed. Some of you are still in that place right now in this moment. And yet, I want you to know this morning, and what I want us to see from God's Word, is that in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our feelings, in spite of our our inability to see it, there is eternal hope in the hour of darkness. That's the title of today's message, Eternal Hope in the Hour of Darkness. Of darkness. And here's the truth I want you to take home from Luke 22, verses 47 to 53. Even in the hour of darkness, when Satan is temporarily allowed to have his way, Jesus is in control and is fulfilling the Father's will, even by laying down his life for the salvation of the world. That's what we're going to see in this account leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. And if it's true, if it was true there, then it's true in your life that there is eternal hope, even in the hour of darkness. Luke 22, verse 47. While he was still speaking, that's Jesus talking, and and just to put it back in context, we read the, the passage just prior to this earlier, but to remind you, While he was still speaking to his disciples about them falling asleep instead of praying to avoid temptation, that's what he's still speaking about, there came a crowd. Remember, they're they're there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's just been agonizing in prayer to the Father. The, The text we read earlier said he was sweating great drops of blood. It's an actual physical condition that... Christ experienced, I can't remember the scientific name now, but basically from stress, the capillaries near the surface of your skin burst and blood comes out your sweat glands and your pores. And in agony, looking ahead to the cross, he prayed, Lord, if, Father, if this cup can pass from me, if there's any way around the cross, then let it be, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And while he was praying that way, his boys were sleeping. And he's just still talking to them about how they had fallen asleep. He's begging them to stay awake, to pray that they might not enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, they didn't wait for an answer, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Eternal hope in the hour of darkness. Jesus said, This is your hour and the power of darkness. First thing I want you to see in this passage this morning is this. The disciples were spiritually unprepared for the hour of darkness because of their failure to pray. Remember, at least twice, if you, flip, if you look back in the, in, in the chapter there, In verses 40 and 46, at least twice in Luke's gospel, Jesus had called on them to join him in prayer. He had said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray. Why? That you may not enter into temptation. By the way, Jesus knew what was fixing to happen. Jesus knew that while he was still speaking, a mob was going to come looking for him to arrest him. At least twice, he pleads with his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation, but instead they went to sleep. So when the mob comes, the disciples fight with worldly weapons, literally. Peter, we know, pulls out a sword and cuts off the guy's ear. You see, the problem was they weren't armed with God's power and the mind of Christ only swords and so they as all humanity does in a time of tri- trial trial and, 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 and when crisis arises they go into fight or flight mode first they fight John 18 verse 10 tells us who it was then Simon Peter having a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear the servant's name was Malchus this guy got his name in scripture because he got his ear cut off by Peter and the Lord apparently just thought it appropriate. We know the guy's name. He lost his ear that night. And, by the way, didn't, isn't it beautiful? In the middle of all this chaos, they're there for Jesus. And Jesus stops the disciples and heals Malchus's ear, restores his ear, puts his ear back on, heals it all up with a touch of the Creator. But then after all that's over G, and Jesus is arrested, they, after fighting, they flee. Matthew 26, verse 56 says, Then all the disciples left him and fled. After they arrested Jesus, they're gone. They scatter. Uh, one of the Gospels tells us that, that one, of, uh, one of them almost got caught. Mark almost got caught. In fact, he had to leave his cloak and run home in his underwear because he just about got caught by one of the temple guards. You see, they were unprepared spiritually because of their failure to pray. It was this moment that Jesus had been pleading with them to be in prayer about. Pray that you may not enter enter into temptation, and yet in the moment they fought with worldly weapons because they were not equipped spiritually for the battle before them. The only way... To be prepared for the hour of darkness, which Jesus said this moment was. The hour when darkness temporarily reigns and wreaks havoc in our lives is to seek the Father's face and presence and power. And there's only one way to do it, in prayer. In prayer. Secondly this morning, I want you to see, though, as a contrast, Jesus... Is in this moment spiritually prepared for the hour of darkness because of his agonizing prayer. Because of his agonizing prayer. In John 18, verse 11, we know this, to, it, it, we learn this to be certainly the case because Jesus says to Peter, who had just cut off the guy's ear, in John's account of that, he says to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath. And then he says this, he asks this question, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Do you remember that, that, those two words, the cup, from anything you've heard today? Well, we read it at the beginning of the service, Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. There, just a few moments ago, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there, as he's sweating great drops of blood, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's what he'd pray. Father, I know what this cup is going to taste like, and it's going to be bad. Physical suffering like we can't even imagine, but for Jesus, perhaps the greatest suffering is when the Father turned his back on him as he hung on the cross because of my sin, because of your sin. The rejection and forsaking of the Father toward the Son, something we can't even fully Comprehend. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Hear me, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was sinless, and yet in the garden, and I don't pretend to understand it all, but what we know from the text is he was agonizing in prayer with his Father about what lay ahead, about that cup of the cross. He did not, in his humanity, he was dreading that. Thus the stress, thus the the blood flowing out of his body. He was, in a moment of, 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 if, if if you will, human weakness. It wasn't sin where he was at. He was surrendered to the Father's will, and yet he was agonizing over what lay ahead. Well, how do you go from that to looking at Peter and saying, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me. Rebuking Peter and saying, Peter, put your sword away. I've got to go to the cross. Rather boldly and confidently and calmly. Because Jesus was spiritually prepared for the hour of darkness because he had been agonizing in prayer. text tells us that he agonized in prayer and that an angel came and strengthened him. I don't... You say, what does that mean? I don't know. It just means what it says. (laughs) Don't know exactly how how, uh, uh, Mr. Angel got it done, but somehow God the Father used this angel to strengthen God the Son and and Jesus Christ. I I don't understand how that all works, but that's what happened. So that by the time we get to this moment, this hour of darkness, where Satan and all his cronies are allowed to temporarily be in control for just a moment, a few hours, Jesus is ready to drink the cup. There's no more, remove this cup from me. It's Peter, how can I not drink the cup that the Father has for me? You see, the only way to be prepared for the hour of darkness, the hour when darkness temporarily reigns and wreaks havoc in our lives, is to seek the Father's face and presence and power in Prayer, You say, well, I'm not Jesus. No, you're not, and I'm glad you recognize that, and I'm sure not. I'm I'm fully aware of that, but the principle still applies. That's why we're told in Ephesians 6 to put on the whole armor of God, and the way that that Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 ends is, is a call to prayer. We're to take, yes, the truth of God's Word and arm our minds and our hearts with His Word the gospel armor of God, the truth about who, who Jesus is and all that He's done for us, we need to arm our hearts and minds with that, but then we must pray. This is a sword of the Spirit, but we must pray. We must find God's power. That's how, as Paul says at the beginning of that passage, we are, that, that's the only way in which we can stay strong in the power of His might. God's Word, and crying out in His presence in prayer. The disciples were not spiritually prepared for the hour of darkness because of their failure to pray. Jesus, on the other hand, is spiritually prepared for the hour of darkness because of His agonizing prayer. But really the main point of the passage before us in Luke twenty-two forty-seven 47 to 53 is the final point this morning and that is this even in the hour of the limited authority of darkness Jesus is in control and the Father's plan of salvation is being accomplished even in the hour of the limited authority of darkness Jesus is in control and the Father's plan of salvation is being accomplished I love John's account of how this scene started. In John 18, verse 4, it says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen, the mob has come, there's Judas, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas who was with him, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Can you imagine this? Even in the hour of the limited authority of darkness, Jesus is in control. They said, Who are you here for? They said, or Jesus said, Who are you here for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. All Jesus says is, I'm your guy. I am he. And literally, they physically recoil backward and fall to the ground. Why? What just happened? God just spoke. The Son of God in the flesh, the one who created every one of them who had come to arrest him, the one who was sustaining their very life by giving them their next breath, said, I am He. And they recoiled in the presence of the Sovereign One. Make no mistake. As Jesus says later in the passage, this was the hour for the evil one. This was the hour of the wick, uh, for, for wicked men. men. This was, they, they were given limited authority to do what they did in the crucifixion, and yet, make no mistake, Jesus and Jesus alone was in control. Luke 22, verse 51. But Jesus said, again right after the whole ear thing, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber? With swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. The, the, the Greek construction here in that last sentence is basically this. This is your hour, you wicked men. This is the hour of the power of darkness. In other words, this is also the hour of the enemy. The enemy has charge over this hour and yet understand, Satan is never sovereign. Uh, let me say that again. Satan is never sovereign. Hello? Satan is never ultimately in control. Ever. While Jesus points out their hypocrisy in arresting him at night, their their hypocrisy in not arresting him on the many occasions that they had already had in the daylight, as well as their coming with a whole gang of people. Some estimate there could have been as many as a thousand people some think that the, the soldiers referred to here are Romans. Well, if that was the case, it says he had a contingent of, of, of soldiers. Well, it could, be some, it could have been temple guards. There's some debate about that. If it was Roman soldiers, a, 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 a contingent would have been like 600 soldiers. And he rebukes them for that. But while he rebukes them for their hypocrisy and this craziness, this this, this, this this wickedness of coming and doing it at night, you know why they did it at night? Because they're afraid of the people. If they tried it in the daylight, the people would have, there would have been a, a mob reaction because they would have been on Jesus' side. He rebukes them for doing it the way they did it, but the reality is the Jews had not arrested Jesus earlier, hear me, because they were not truly able to arrest him earlier, according to John's gospel. John chapter 7 says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. A chapter later in John 8, verse 20, it says these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, But no one arrested him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Let me tell you the flip side of that coin. And the hour of darkness had not yet come. Jesus, the sovereign one, had not yet given limited authority to Satan and his cronies to do what they had to do. They weren't able to arrest him earlier because his hour had not yet come. God, make no mistake, not man, not even Satan, was ultimately in charge of the hour of Jesus' arrest. In our text, that hour had finally arrived according to the plan of God. Now, Satan thought he was in charge. Satan thought that he could wield his worst weapon, death itself, against Jesus and rid the world of uh, of God's Son and, and make his life a whole lot better. He thought that's what was going on. It seemed like that was what was going on. And yet, it was the death of God's Son that in the plan of God the Father would save the world. All Satan ever does in an ultimate sense is play into the sovereign plan of Almighty God. Hallelujah, what a Savior. If you know Jesus today, this is your King. And even in the hour of darkness, when Satan is temporarily allowed to have his way, Jesus is in control, and he's fulfilling the Father's will in this instance by laying down his life for the salvation of the world. In Matthew 26, verse 52 to 54, Matthew's record of this, of this situation says, Then Jesus said to him, put, away your, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Peter, I don't need your little blade. I mean, I'm sustaining their lives. I don't do business. This, my kingdom... Doesn't do business according to the weapons of the world. I'm on a mission of salvation. I'm on a mission of sacrifice, of laying down my life. By the way, great lesson for the church to learn. Same still true until he comes. When Jesus decides to start using a sword, you'll know it. And one day he will. But until then, this is the path for all who follow him. But notice what he says in verse 54 of Matthew 26. But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Peter, like like, like we read in the other gospel, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Not only that, Peter, there's, there's Scripture that has to be fulfilled. God has said this hundreds of years ago, that this moment, this hour, my hour, the hour of darkness, it would come. Peter, you're standing in the way with your worldly weapons of the will of God the Father. The plan that was laid from before the beginning of time. And by the way, anytime we take up worldly weapons as His people, we're in the way of the Father's plan for that moment. I don't think you heard that, so I'm going to say it again. Anytime we take up the world's weapon as the church and try to play by the world's rules and fight the world with the world's tools, we are in the way of the will of God as He would have it in and through our lives. Thus, the embarrassment of the church through the ages. Things like the Crusades. Just go right on down the line. Matthew 26, verse 55 says, At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against, as out is against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after a day, I sat in the temple teaching... And you did not seize me. Again, he says it here. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Matthew writing mainly to Jewish readers to show them that all that happened through the life of Christ. You you, you can see this all throughout the the gospel of Matthew. He'll say that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Pointing Jews to the Old Testament. Look back and see it in your own Bible. Bible. Realize that what's happening is just exactly what God said would happen. Scripture is being fulfilled in the person, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus is in control. And furthermore, the plan of salvation is being accomplished. Even in the hour of darkness. John 10, verses 14 to 18. Here, Jesus had already said, uh, before the moment in which we find Jesus and the disciples in the garden, He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Prophetic words from Jesus here. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, that is, Gentiles. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Verse 18 of John 10. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. God was in charge of the hour of darkness and the hour of Jesus' arrest. Not man, not Satan, in the ultimate sense. Jesus was laying down His life. He was granting authority to those who would arrest Him. Beat him and crucify him. Perhaps this sovereignty of God and the crucifixion of Jesus is no more, nowhere more clearly seen than in Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Anybody know what's going on in Acts chapter 2? All right. Everybody gets a zero on that quiz, but I'll tell you real quick. It's the day of Pentecost and Peter's preaching. And in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 people are about to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, this is what Peter says about this same hour that we find ourselves in, that the hour of darkness, that, that is from the arrest through the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter looks at those, his hearers and he says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it, that is, by death. Man, what a powerful two verses that is. This Jesus, who was, check it out, who's ultimately sovereign, who's in control of the, of the arrest torture, and crucifixion of Jesus. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God's in control. But you people that I'm preaching to, Peter, said you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. You're guilty. How's all that go together? Don't know. God delivered him up. And they put him to death. It was all right on time according to God's plan. Jesus' hour came at the same time the hour of darkness came. And limited authority was given to the evil one and to evil men. And Christ was crucified. He hung on that cross for six hours that Friday and he died for my sin. He died for your sin. The Father forsook him. He turned his back on him and died and he was buried 3 days dead but god verse 24 raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for jesus to be held by death why because he was the sinless sacrifice for sins he was the perfect lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world The death he died was the death we deserved. Death had no ultimate claim on him because he was sinless. But he bore God's wrath in our place. And because he was a spotless name of God on the third day, God raised him up. You see, Jesus' arrest, his coming trial... The mocking and the spitting on him, his flogging, his six hours on that Roman crucifix, his death on that tree, and yes, his resurrection from the dead on the third day. Hear me. It was all part of the Father's loving and gracious and merciful plan to save a world of sinners like me and like you. Aren't you thankful for that plan? Aren't you thankful For the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that delivered Jesus up that we might be delivered from sin and death forever. Even in the hour of darkness when Satan is temporarily allowed to have his way Jesus is in control and fulfilling the Father's will as we see here by laying down his life for the salvation the world now let me ask you a question to drive this home and hopefully apply this in your life if God was sovereign hear me over the absolutely darkest of hours everybody agreed this is this is as dark it gets when Jesus gets arrested beaten and goes to the cross okay everybody agree any dissenters with that that's good because you'd just be wrong you'd just be the one in the room that was wrong if God was sovereign over the absolutely darkest hours of human history the darkest events ever to happen on planet earth the darkest of circumstances ever to be endured is he not yet in control of the dark hours of my life oh he is Don't hear me minimizing your pain. Don't hear me minimizing your hurt, the confusion. It's all real. But if he was sovereign, then he's sovereign still. Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8 goes on to say that Nothing. And it gives a li- big list defining nothing. And it means, can I just tell you real quick, real, real deep here, it means nothing. In all of creation, from the heavens to the earth to anything under the earth, nothing can happen in our lives that will ever be able, nobody can ever happen to us that we will ever be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because Jesus died. He said it was finished. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again and proved that, he was, that, it, that it was. He lives and rules and reigns over all things and nothing can take away the love of God from you. Ever. Amen. Amen. You see, even in the darkest hour, our God and Savior reigns. I don't know what every one of you are facing. I know what some of you are facing. And it's dark. It's bad. It's painful. But even in the darkest hour, our God and Savior reigns. But not only that. He is working out God's plan of salvation. I don't mean in the same way that he was then, fixing to go to the cross to die to make it possible for men, women, boys, and girls to be saved. But hear me, in the Romans 8 sense, he's somehow working it all together for your good. We we, we can't even understand the way God works. He's doing something for his glory through Christ. In my life, maybe it's in, in the life of somebody else. Maybe, maybe my pain, my suffering is going to result in the glory of Christ in some other life. I, we don't know. And here's the thing. Don't try to figure it all out. Trust him. Here's the thing. If he gave his own son, Romans 8 also says, verse 32, if he gave his own son for you, is that a big deal? Did that not prove how much you I mean is is there any question that the father loves you he gave his son if he gave his own son for you you know what the rest of that verse says how will he not along also along with him freely give us all things now that doesn't mean he's a genie in the bottle that you get to tell what you want and he gives you three wishes no It just means he's a good, good father, Jason. And he's going to give you good stuff. Even when it don't seem good. Even when it feels good. Even when you can't figure out how in this world or lifetime it could ever be for good. He's God. I'm not. And if he did what he did for me through Jesus, then I can trust him with whatever this is I can't figure out. I can't hardly endure now. I can endure it because... He is my Father. Even in the hour of darkness, when Satan is temporarily allowed to have his way, Jesus is in control. And he is fulfilling the Father's will for the salvation of the world, even in our lives. Let's pray. Father, for these truths, we thank you. For the beauty of your love and your your sovereignty, we praise you. And we thank you for eternal hope even in the hour of darkness. Lord, I thank you that we'll never endure an hour as dark as the hour you endured, the the six hours you endured on the cross for us. But even in in the darkest of our hours, I thank you that because you rose from the dead, Jesus, because you sit on the throne at the Father's right hand today as Lord of all, we do indeed have eternal hope. We pray, God, that even if we never see it, for your glory and our good and the good of those around us, you would work out the will of the Father for the salvation of men, women, boys, and girls, even through the dark hour. And God, may we, just, may we trust you in that hour. May we abide there. May we not seek to flee from the, the, the moment you have us in so that your name might be honored. May we not turn to sin. May we not turn to some kind of comfort other than you, Father, in the dark hour. May we trust you cry out to you in prayer, even as Jesus did. May we as your people be prepared and sustained by prayer. Prepared for the suffering. Sustained in the middle of suffering through agonizing prayer. Oh God, teach us to pray. Father, right now I pray that if there's any in the room or join us via live stream who have yet to trust you, put their faith in the Lord Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again for them. I pray that right now, God, they would do that. The gospel has been made clear. May they look to you. God, for us who are yours, may we cling to you ever more tightly, day by day, especially in the dark hour. Pray it all in Jesus' name and for His glory's sake, Amen. Let's stand together and and worship. This altar is open for you to come and respond to God, God's word to you. However, He may lead you to do that. The doors of our church are open to receive members. However, we can. Maybe there's something you need to pray about. You seek the Father here. Others will join you in that. Come alongside of you and pray. Maybe there's someone that's on your heart today that for whom you want to pray. Others will come alongside you in our church family and and join you in that maybe you have a deep need that you would just want some brothers or sisters to join you in men with men women with men with men women with women will will come around you and pray whatever whatever you need today as we seek him God's people said,